listeners, it's Ben here and welcome back to Revival on the Air today. Well, here we are, part four and our final episode in our conversation with Pastor John and Janet Corman about the wonderful adventures of a life serving the Lord. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode just as much as you've enjoyed the others. And if you haven't listened to episode one and three, then hit the pause button, go back and have a listen now. Enjoy. Laurie Nankerville, who had a Volkswagen and he'd written on it, Jimi Hendrix, that's all there is. And one of our young fellows poked his head in the window and he said, so you think Jimi Hendrix is pretty good, do you? He said, yeah, I do. He said, have you ever tried Jesus Christ? And Laurie said, I want to talk to you. So he went across the other side of the, pulled up the other side of the lights and this lad witnessed to him. Now, Laurie was living in a commune with his now wife and others. And um, so this lad came and spoke to him with somebody else, another brother in the fellowship. They went around to the commune, they witnessed to Laurie and Mary uh, and others, but Mary decided she wanted to get baptised. And so they rang me up, I was living at Elizabeth, and I said, well, come up and I'll meet you at the hall, and it was late in the evening, and they baptised him in the hall there. And, um, well, Mary came up out of the water filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I can still remember her reaching up and grabbing hold of Laurie and nearly pulling him into the <laughs> tank with her. He got baptised as well. And that was the, uh, the start of uh, their, their walk. But anyway, a few years later, they uh, are in the Lord. They went to Wyala and uh, Roland was there. This Ian Matthews was there as well. And... Uh, and um, uh, as it happened, Mike Murray had moved up there with his work. Mm. Uh, he was working for BHP and he was pretty slack at that stage with his attendance, not anymore, but that really woke him up. In fact, I was concerned about these people meeting up with him because I thought he was slack, but uh, no, really, he fired him up and you can't stop him now. And so he was there with his little family and they became a part of it as well. And, and, and there were contacts. Uh, Barry and Betty Emming, they had a contact. They were contacts there and oh, various others. So it, it really grew. Mm. And um, so we've still got a fine assembly in, yeah. in Wyala. And Laurie's back with us. He went to New Zealand and he's back with us. Roland became the pastor. He moved to, um, to um, Melbourne. Mm. Um, um, Alan Butler, he moved over to New Zealand when Laurie went there and he became the pastor in Tapuki. Mm -hmm. And now Mark Wickstein, who's great help there and also does a lot of work mm. in Fiji. So Waiala has been very fruitful ground. Mm. I always think, well, there's nothing else to do in Waiala. You, <laughs> either you go to the pub or you get saved. It's and amazing so, that they chose, I mean, for those that don't know Waiala, it's... It's not a holiday destination. It's, <laughs> not, it's a relatively industrial Although the beach is town. quite nice, actually. Mm. Yeah. But that's not normally the first place you'd pick if no, BHP no. offered you some... Not unless you like red, uh, red <laughs> dust falling on your car and so on. So. Anyway, praise the Lord. And so you've had a lot to do with Papua New Guinea oh, as yes. well, haven't you, over the years? So if, for those that uh, haven't listened to Pastor Godfrey's testimony... They need yes. to go back a few episodes and listen to that. But but you've spent a lot of time over there and obviously a lot of That's time right. with Pastor Godfrey yes. over the years. Yes, well, Pastor Godfrey came to the Lord in, in Melbourne, mm. as you would have heard from his testimony. And um, we were hearing about this 
work, there was some brothers from Melbourne that were going up to New Guinea and uh, they had restrictions put on them by the authorities, stirred up by the churches up there. But in 1987, uh, I was invited to go up there with a brother from Melbourne that was going up. And um, uh, we went... By that time, it had been going about, I think, about five years, um, five or six years. And there'd been quite a bit of revival up in Lumi, which is up in the Torricelli Mountains on the northern side of the country, up not too far from the Indonesian border. And um, so that was um, an exciting time for me to, to go there. There was just the two of us went. And um, so we went to Lumi and we also, um, where, you know, the revival was all going from there. That was Pastor Godfrey's home village, mm. Karate village. And uh, so we spent... Um, uh, a couple of weeks up there, I think it was, and we uh, came down to Wewak. There was no assembly there at the time, um, and uh, so we uh, we went across to Itaby, where which is further along the coast, and um, yeah, that was pretty rugged. Um, and then we must have come back to Wewak, and then we flew to Lay, and there was only a about a dozen people there um, and nothing much doing in the assembly at that time. Uh, we went to Port Moresby and um, oh, I think we actually started in Mount Hagen. There was just a handful of people there. But we went back to Port Moresby, the capital, and uh, there was just again only a few people in the house where we, we met. And uh, so I didn't go back again uh, until 1990. And this time uh, it had grown considerably. And Did I go that time? No, no. It was uh, ladies weren't invited then. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> they weren't ever invited, were they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had to force your way in there, did you? Yeah, yeah. I did. Oh, no. <laughs> but... Um, uh, I went there with uh, Pastor Bob Beverley from Canberra and Pastor Laurie Nankerville, who was in Wyala at the time. Mm. And he went, uh, because he was having quite a bit to do with the Australian Aborigines, to be educational for him. And uh, so we went to a number of places, but by this time, in those three years since I'd been there the first time, it had grown substantially. And uh, What does was... substantially mean for those? Oh... Well, uh, in uh, in Lay, for instance, where there was maybe a dozen people before, uh, we went to a rally that they were having there. There must have been over 100 people by this time, and mm. I remember there being, I think, 18 baptisms yeah. on this particular day. Uh, and uh, we went as well to Rabaul, New Britain, and... Um, there was, there was no assembly there at the time, but there were contacts mm. there. And it seemed that everywhere we went, uh, there were relatives of Pastor Godfrey. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> so uh, they all said they were cousins, and there were, uh, there were cousins and cousin brothers. I think cousin brothers were near relatives, uh, but, uh, but cousins were... Anybody was in the same tribe, I think. Right, okay. But they all knew him because yeah. he was really uh, more or less like a chief in, um, 
in uh, this part of the world, the, uh, uh, what's the name of the tribe? All he over was the a, language. He was on the radio. Yes, they would have heard his testimony already, mm. I think. Yes, he was there. I think when he was down in Melbourne, he was working for... Um, radio Australia. Radio Australia. Yeah, Radio yeah. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And to, also the United Nations at some stage he yes, was working for them. that was before he came to the law. Yeah. yeah. So he was well known. Oh, yes, he's, he's still, still well known, even more well known now. Yes. Uh, not to everybody. I was with him in recent times... And we're in Port Moresby, which is a pretty rugged sort of city. Yeah. You've, you've got to be careful where you go there. Mm. And we're in his car and he got pulled up at a roadblock and um, uh, he was used to in his neck of the woods up north just saying, oh, I'm Pastor Godfrey Whippon, or they would see him and say, oh, Pastor Godfrey Whippon. Yeah. Anyway, he pulled up and the policeman stopped and he said, oh, I'm Pastor Godfrey Whitlam, and the, the policeman says, So? <laughs> <laughs> yes. What a letdown. Yes. yes. So I was pleased to see that. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, we, we get on well. Uh, I call him my twin brother, but yeah. uh, he's um, a lot shorter than me and got a bit better suntan as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, but... Um, Anyway, so, yeah, so we've, we've been to, to many places. I think I've been 12 or 14 times mm. to, uh, to New Guinea and been to a number of rallies and been around very interesting places. I mean, people go to exotic places as tourists, but they don't see what I've seen. And to, to go to that trip when I, in 1990, where I was there for a month and... Um, uh, somebody tried to stage a coup while we were there and uh, we think, oh, they'll be all worried about us back in Australia, but we found out they'd heard the news. It was just that the police chief had got drunk and tried decided to take over the government or something, you see, and they, they, his senior officers locked him up until he sobered up and then let him out again, you see. It is an amazing country. Really, <laughs> my daughter and I went uh, two or three years ago yes. Uh, yes. to the rally, uh, which was at Port Moresby. Yes. And... I remember people saying at the time it was a fantastic opportunity when I got back to witness to people yes. because they go, oh, what did you go to Papua New Guinea for? You know, Because yeah. it's not a holiday no. destination. But the testimonies and the miracles that we That's saw right. there yeah. and, well, but that's and, uh, and you know, people telling me how unsafe the country was, and it is, and yes. you know, particularly for ladies. Yes. Uh, and I know. Um, I mean, I've been to several rallies mm. and they must they'd sit you in a special spot. And you get a bit sick of sitting there for hours and then go for a bit of a walkabout mm. to talk mm. to the people sitting on the ground and yeah. all the rest of it, hundreds of them. You usually find a couple of blokes at your shoulders. Yep. Being, Keep uh, an eye on you. Yeah. Don't go there, you know. Yeah. But among, you know, we were amongst 35,000 people, I think, the rally, yes, at the rally. Right. And all spirit-filled Christians. And yes. Yes. Never they felt pretty good body guys, yeah. It felt amazing. That's right. But yes. uh, when you're out in the city or yes. you were driving yes. through the city, yeah, you, 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 know, you feel a lot more uncomfortable. That's right. Well, David was there, wasn't he, in Port Moresby? Well, when he built the hall. Yeah. He supervised yeah. the hall. Yeah. 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 Yes, so many, many stories we could uh, tell about that, but uh, some of the amazing miracles. The, the first time that I went in 1987, I met this uh, brother. He'd become a pastor, and he had been a cripple, and he couldn't stand up. He used to get around but he would be on his haunches with two walking sticks and he would shuffle along 
Um, and uh, before I came there, he'd come to the Lord and he'd been healed. Mm. And he was from up in Lumi. But uh, Lumi is up in Torricelli Mountains, but down to the, to the north, to the coast, it's not all that far as the crow flies, if they've got crows there. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a day's journey for people to walk down. Mm. And he had walked down there and back up again after he came to the Lord. Wow. He completely healed mm. of, his, uh, of his whatever had crippled him. Yeah. Know. And lots of stories like that mm. that you see. And some of us have actually seen cripples be carried into the water to get baptised and they walk out again. Yeah, I saw that myself. When people I was there. that have been deaf. Yep. When I was at one rally and uh, um, there was um, all these people prayed for, hundreds of people prayed for, and uh, there was one uh, person came up to give his testimony and uh, he was saying how that when uh, he was totally deaf, but after he was prayed for, he heard an aeroplane and he was pointing up. Yeah. I can hear it. Yeah. You know, so just in a moment of time, just completely healed by the power of God. I've got some photos of a lady that uh, was healed of deafness mm. uh, when she came out of uh, when she came out of the waters of baptism when when we were there. Yes. And this, you could see her face, and there's and it's a series of photographs that are mm. taken. You could see her face, the 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 shock. Yes. when she first comes out of the water that she can hear mm. and then the joy on her face mm. and then the concern about the loudness of the noise <laughs> and then the joy on her face again. Uh, it's, just a, it's just an amazing series of photographs. You can just yeah. see that, you know, the wonderful healing that she's had. It's amazing. Mm. People have often asked, you know, why per number of people that are in the fellowship there seems to be a lot more miracles and uh, amazing things that happen in New Guinea than perhaps other parts of uh, the Western world. Um, have you got any thoughts on, on why we see that in Papua New Guinea compared to, to other places? Well, uh, yes. Australians have become very cynical mm. and uh, they're very simple people as the people in Bible days were. Yeah. And uh, so um, if people have a faith in God, which the majority of people in in New Guinea and places like that do. Mm. Um, and the for over a hundred years, uh, a form of Christianity has been taught, and uh, we believe that you know they haven't gone far enough, but at least um, a lot of people have confidence in the Bible. Mm. And uh, you start quoting from that and you show them about what the Lord says for you to do and you show them the stories of Jesus healing people and uh, they respond to it. Mm. And <clears throat> because they... Uh, uh, it sort of carries over in other aspects of their life. Uh, one of the things that I was left with in that trip where I spent a month there in 1990 uh, was just the... A simple trust that they have in God. Um, and one of the sayings that you have, you would ask them things, well, is it is it going to rain today? Oh, God knows. And do you think we'll get there today? Oh, God knows. And uh, well, they certainly didn't. Uh, but they just, well, what are you worried about? 
God's looking after us. Mm. And so when they're confronted with, uh, you know, the, the scriptures and the promises in the Bible, they're a bit more inclined to believe it than the average Australian mm. is. Yeah. In fact, we tend to feel sorry for people in countries like this because they don't have much in the way of material possessions. But they, they admire us because they said, how do you manage to hang on to your faith when you're surrounded by all this materialism? Mm. And so that's, that's part of the problem. Mm. We've got too many distractions here. And so the Bible tells the story of the sower and the seed, of uh, some that's the seed fell by the side of the road and the birds took it away and some was on shallow ground and some was amongst the thorns that grew up and choked it out and some on good ground. We've got a lot of stony ground in Australia. We've got a lot of good ground up there. It is very fertile. We've still got some good ground here. We do, yeah. And there are... I mean, there are some wonderful things happen. I mean, we've told you some of the stories, but if I can just deviate... uh, to a recent story about three years ago or thereabouts was a man uh, up that goes to the Agola Assembly now and uh, he was witness to and he came to the Lord and he was addicted to alcohol and ice and he um, recently his sister came to the Lord and I was talking to him recently and uh, and he said, oh, when I first tried to talk to her, she, she just laughed it off. Said, oh, no. But because he's persevered uh, for three years and she spoke to his doctor and the doctor can't get over it, how that this man was addicted to ice, was delivered overnight. Mm. Uh, that just doesn't it's, happen. It's just unprecedented. It's, so yeah, that's, it's amazing. That's the sort of miracles that, that God is performing. Mm. And uh, so there's lots of people get healed here too. Mm, there is. Yeah. I, I found it really interesting. I, I came back and when I came back and I and I, I found it really easy to, to talk to people there and to witness to people who weren't in our church over there. And when I came back, I just I, you know, had this fire in my belly to talk mm. to people and found people didn't respond in the same way, of course. Um, but you're right in terms of the country has just this, almost everybody in the country has a foundational belief in God. Yes. Uh, so it's not like you need to convince them that God exists, you just need to show them the like right God way said. to follow him. Yes. Whereas here we have to do two steps, right? Step one is to convince them that God is real. That's uh, right. And the second is, that, uh, is where the truth is and, and where they should follow him. Well, a, a little story about the trip that I was there with Pastor Laurie and Pastor Bob. Um, the only person we tried to talk to in New Guinea for the month that we were there was a Chinese businessman in the Port Moresby hotel that we were staying at. Um, and he, he didn't believe in God. But Laurie and I came back together, both being from South Australia. We landed in Sydney and we got in a taxi and we tried to witness to the taxi driver I and mean, he told us what we could do with our yeah. beliefs. Yeah. And I said to Laurie, welcome back to Australia. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, but our job's just to tell them, right? We don't, right. Uh, you know, yes. we're not called to, uh, to you know, get people to the, into the tank and get them spirit-filled, right? We're just talk to, told to talk that's to right. them and tell yeah. them of our experiences, yeah. Yeah. whether they respond. Well, that's, that's yeah. up to God, not us. 
Hey, it's Ben here, and I'm here with my wife, Emily, and we'd like to tell you about the new podcast called He Says, She Says, God Says. It's all about marriages and relationships, where God is at the centre. Everyone knows that marriages are under more pressure today than ever, so this podcast is designed to help you with both practical and spiritual content. We cover a different topic about marriage each episode, and we look into the scriptures to understand what God's wisdom has for us, as well as interviewing other couples who have been there before, what's worked for them, their challenges, and how they overcome them, their experiences. So whether you're single and thinking about a relationship, newly married, married with kids or empty nesters, there will be episodes and topics for everyone. You can find it on your favourite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, etc. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Just search for He Says, She Says, God Says or visit our webpage www.hesayssheesaysgodsays.com. So are there any... Is there any particular standout testimonies that you, you know, over the years, either people have close to you or miracles or there must be just so many for you to draw from uh, to remember? Well, I could talk about my sister Lorraine. Yes. She suffered from asthma all her life up until the time we came to the Lord. Right. And she'd received the spirit and she had one of the worst attacks that she'd ever had soon after. Right. And she... She said to me, we were living at Barwon Head, just on the farm close to the beach, and she said to my mother, she said, look, she said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out to the beach, which is one of our favourite spots, and I'm going to ask the Lord to heal me. Mm. And anyway, she struggled out there from fence post to fence post, literally. Really? And uh, when she got out there, she, had, she prayed, and she said to my mother before she went, she said, you have tea ready when I come back. Yeah. She said, I'll be able to eat it. Yeah. And and what, what was the treatment for asthma at that oh, time? Oh, in, injections, breathing apparatus yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, she used to have pneumonia every year right. because her lungs weren't working properly and all that sort yeah. of thing. But anyway, she went out there and she prayed and sought the Lord, and then when she came back. She realised that the breathing was free, didn't have asthma, and she's never had it since. Wow. And she was about 16 at that time. And, uh, You're not going to tell us how old she is now, are you? 79. <laughs> she proudly tells you that she's 79. She's 79, and she was not supposed to live that long. That's you amazing. Know, they tell her that. They wow. said she wouldn't see 21. Wow. Yes. She's That's seen cool. it a few times. That's yeah. Lorraine, which she's had a couple of kids and... Worked for years, yeah. no trouble. Yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. So I just praise the Lord for yeah, that. Of course. The other one, of course, is our daughter, Christine. Mm. She was born, and I can remember I was in the hospital, and uh, they came up to me the day after and said, Look, your little girl's not going to live the night out. There's something wrong with her breathing. We, we can't help her. And anyway, I don't know. If John came in soon after that, and, and uh, we looked into to the Bible. Mm. And that one, that scripture where it says the battle's not yours, it's the yeah. Lord's. Hill. Second Chronicles 20. He'll yeah. look after her. Yeah. And we had some prayer. And I know the next morning the, the nurse, nursing sister who was in charge of that uh, that part of the hospital where all the prem babies were and everything else, she came to me and she said, I don't know what's happened. She said, but your little girl's all right. Mm. She's going to be okay. Mm. So when you got, first got the news that she might not make the night... 
What, well, what? I was shattered, actually. Oh, you were, yeah. Yes. And uh, then the next time they told us the bad news, the doctors, they said she had a large hernia, she had her tongue and mouth and all that hanging out all the time and various other things, and they yeah. said she's got all the signs of being a cretin, yeah. which meant she wasn't going to develop yeah. um, physically or, or mentally. Yeah. <laughs> I went back to the car because we'd been to the doctor and I, was, I, I told John what, what they'd said, that we had prayer for her. And that great hernia, it was a really great lump mm. in the tummy, over the next week mm. just went in mm. and all the other signs disappeared. Yeah, uh, nothing the matter with her. Yeah. But she's a grandmother now. Yeah, yeah that's so fantastic. That was... One of the most dramatic periods in our life, of course. Uh, you know, we were a young couple that were serving the Lord. Uh, this wasn't supposed to happen to us, uh, but, but it was. And does that shake your faith at that point? Does oh, it... no, it, it just made us pray harder. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, uh, That particular night, it was, uh, she was born on the 27th of July, uh, 1962, and... On the 31st, uh, when she was four days old, uh, I had been advertised to preach at um, Elizabeth. We were still living in Adelaide at the time in a hired hall and we were going to show a film and uh, about healing in another country, a big rally that had been held there. And it was a wild electrical storm and, uh, you know, there was all the sound effects and everything going on in the background. And I'm preaching on healing and my own daughter's dying in hospital. Mm. So I was really preaching to myself mm. and anyone else that wanted to hear that was good too. Mm. Uh, but, you know, so then the next morning when, uh, the next day when I came in, because the, the day before when I came in just after Janet had been given the news and... Uh, she was, of course, very distressed and her Bible was there. I just picked it up and it just seemed to flop open to Second Chronicles chapter 20 where the, uh, the Jerusalem was being invaded, uh, surrounded by the enemy and the prophet came to them and said, you don't need to worry, the battle is not yours, mm. it's God's. Just set mm. yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I guess that's all we could do, you know, when when you're just told there's nothing more the doctors can do. I mean, they're very good doctors here in, in Adelaide mm. and uh, we appreciate all the efforts that they put in, but they'd said, we can't do any more, mm. but God it's, did. It's often, um, it's often oh, right. when we get to that point, isn't it, yes. you know, where yeah. there is nothing else, yeah. yes. that's when the wonderful victory comes. That's right. Amen. Um, I, yeah, spoken to lots of people over the years where, you know, they've prayed through, you know, through, you know, their illness. Um, mm. But, you know, there's this little treatment or that little treatment, but they still continue to pray. But it's not until they get to that very end where there is nothing else mm. uh, that uh, that God shines through. Anyway. Always darkest before the dawn. Mm. And I sometimes wonder why that is and whether that's because, you know, it takes for us to get to that point where there's no hope in anything but God for the for the victory to come. Or maybe that's when God steps in, and because there's no other, there's no one else at that point. The, the the glory is totally the Lord's at that point. Yes, I think that it's not wise of us to think that one size fits all, mm. because we're all different, 
the circumstances all vary, even yeah. in the, uh, the instances in their own life. Well, one is different from another. Mm. Uh, because the same little girl, uh, when uh, a few years later she was very, very sick um, and Janet was going to go back teaching and so she um, was due to have an appointment the next day and I thought, well, I wanted to be well to go to that and, and Christine was very, very ill so I stayed up, um, you know, with her all night. Yes. And, uh, you know, towards morning it, it got really bad and I rang, uh, I rang up uh, the doctor and I forget what happened, but I know she finished up in the children's hospital. And as w we went in there, there was a, a lady who was a nurse whose family were in our fellowship and she didn't share our beliefs. And I could sort of just see it written all over her face Aha, uh -huh. here's the pastor <laughs> in here with his daughter having to come in here. But this was the same girl that God had healed. In this particular case, it was something the doctors could do. Mm. She was actually severely dehydrated yeah. and they put a drip yeah. into her and it wasn't long and she was, she was on the mend again. Yeah. So uh, we just praise the Lord that when there's something that the doctors could do, they were available, but I'd been praying all night mm. and, and nothing seemed to happen. Mm. But there was still an answer for her mm. and so on. So, um, yeah, I think we can oversimplify things when we're, we're looking for how to get healings and so on. But mm. I know David had that face thing, Bell's palsy. He'd been riding a, a motorbike up on the hill beyond the camp and the freezing cold altered the whole muscles and everything had given way at all forward. It's basically almost like a paralysis, isn't it? Yes, Where it one is. side of the face yeah. becomes and, and almost paralysed. he was paralyzed. told, that, oh, you'll be stuck with that. Yeah, right. But anyway, I had prayer for him and, of course, got wow, better. that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Whatever it was. Yeah, I remember him so. coming to tell us and he looked in the mirror and burst out laughing at himself sort of thing, which was, OK, he could do that. <laughs> Anyone else? Do? No, yeah. that's right. No, no, he looked a mess. Yeah. Was, yeah. His mouth and the whole thing had collapsed. Yeah. Yes. So. Well, no doubt there's plenty of stories. Oh, there? yes, yes. Did you want to talk about anything else? Do you want to talk about any challenges the fellowship's faced over the years? Um... Well, there's, there's always challenges. That's life. Um, I, I suppose trying to think back over particular things that happened. Um, I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about perils amongst false brethren, mm. uh, which, um, you know, we often talk about how wonderful that the fellowship is and, and there's some fantastic brothers and sisters but sometimes when people turn against you, the Apostle Paul had that. He said, in Asia, they all turn against me. Mm. So the, there are some difficulties. And sometimes people wonder why we're very strict about certain things. And uh, there's a reason for that. Because when you've been preaching for 60 years, which I have, and you have seen so many things... And when you see uh, some signs in somebody or a group of people that remind you of others that have gone astray and influenced others to go astray, 
you become very protective. Mm. And so you, you, you move in and uh, you stop that. And just as far as sort of more recent history, a few years ago, there were some young men uh, interstate who got, uh, became fanatical and they decided that they knew the, the old pastors, they were pastored and they knew better and all this sort of thing. And young men got a lot of enthusiasm and we jealous of their enthusiasm. We used to have it, but we're, we're getting a bit tired these days. But um, they, um, they tried to influence other young people and it made me realise that uh, people in their teens, particularly ones that have grown up in the fellowship, they're faced with challenges which are different to the ones that I faced because I was 20 when I came to the Lord, so I didn't go through those teenage years of being in a spirit-filled family where they have to face all of these things and they've got school and everything to contend with. So some of them are pretty unsure of themselves. And so you get a fanatic that gets hold of them and they would say things like, now, you're guilty of something, aren't you? Oh, no, not really. Now, come on. I'm sure there's something that you've done that you feel guilty about. And so they would encourage them. And in the end, well, everybody feels guilty about something. So they would come and then they would confess what they'd done. Uh Aha, so we'll we'll now have some prayer for you and we'll, you know, get rid of this guilt that you're feeling there. And, of course... You know, quite often when you unload something that's been bothering you, you feel better. But basically what they were saying, well, now you've become my disciple and we will go and find other people. And it was almost like pyramid selling. And, And because the leaders of this fanatical thing that was happening... Uh, weren't stable people themselves. They actually led a lot of young people astray. Mm. And fortunately in our assembly in Adelaide, uh, because some of us had been on the road a long time and we saw them trying to invade us, we had some of them come to our Christmas camp and we um, you know, dealt with them. We didn't let them influence our people. Well, we didn't mm. lose people, but other assemblies mm. did. Lost lots. And uh, mm. they lost a lot of people. And so there have been times, and the Bible warns of all of these sort of things. Of course it does. And um, it says in Acts 20, uh, where Paul warned the elders in Ephesus, pure from the blood of all men, because I haven't shunned to declare all the counsel of God. And so he said, you leaders, you take heed to yourselves. That's the first thing. Make sure you've got your own relationship with God good. Take heed to yourselves and unto the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, because I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in not sparing the flock, and also of your own selves shall men arise seeking to draw away disciples after themselves. And so that's the temptation that some people have. And we're all dealing with our personal overcoming, about things and it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor that's been there for over 60 years or whether you're the newest convert or mm. whoever you might be, 
We're all faced with temptation and trials and we've got to do our daily overcoming of these things. But uh, And that's what a pastor is. He's a shepherd, that's what it means. And he's he's got to protect the flock. And um, uh, we, we do our best to do that because we don't want to see anybody being caught out. Mm. But if people decide that they know better and they've ceased to take advice, it's a bit like when you're a parent and you've got mm. children if uh, and you guide them and you correct them and you or try to, and uh, sometimes they don't want to listen. And even reading the story in the Bible of a man who had two sons and one of them said, Dad, I want my inheritance. You give it to me. I want to go out and do my own thing. Mm. And he, he did. But he got into big, big trouble. Mm. And so eventually he said, I'm being an idiot here. I, I'll go back home and I, I know I've done wrong. I'll come back and ask, can I just work for you, Dad? I don't deserve to be a son anymore. But because he had a good attitude... And that truly repentant heart, didn't it? That's right. Mm. And that's what it's like for... For, for us too when we when we do wrong and we admit it and so on. It's, confession is good. If we confess our sins, he's just and faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when people, um, you know, they, they take the bit between their teeth, as they say, with a horse, when he runs away, he won't respond to the mm-hmm. reins guiding them anymore. Well, uh, you know, they... They just make their own decisions, ignore the warnings. And sadly, over the years, we've seen many people go. Mm. But that's the parable of the sower and the seed too. Yeah. I think too, when we were very young in the Lord, we had leaders that went astray. That's true. Like yes. just led Dave. He got into really weird prophecy. and He'd say, if a flying saucer comes and you're told... That it's the Lord, you to get on that flying saucer. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we're listening to this. We'd only been in the Lord a short while ourselves, and a flying saucer comes and says, Get on, and I'll run that direction. You yes. know, no, I don't. I'm going to, going to listen to somebody like that. But, but it he, is interesting, isn't it, that, you know, when you talk about people being fanatical, and when we read the scriptures, we see, you know, there's such a breadth of advice and things that we should do and uh, and uh, in areas of our life that we should focus on. And That's right. There's not one other than obviously, you know, the, the pure salvation message of, you know, being repentant and being baptised right. and being filled with the Spirit. You know, obviously that's critically important. But the other elements are all, you know, very balanced in its teaching in the Bible. So when someone takes one thing and runs with it and that becomes yes, their... Yeah, well, that, that's right, what they, they do. They lose sight of everything else, don't yeah. they? Um, so we sort of learned to recognise things that were running off the rails. I'm not sure I've ever read flying saucers anywhere in the Scriptures. Oh, they put in Ezekiel <laughs> chapter 1 as wheels within wheels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, it's there. Yes. Dear. Okay. Well, what I believe is that every Bible truth, and there are many of them that yes. uh, club together to, um, to make the whole, that any Bible truth that is overemphasized at the expense of another, another Bible yeah. truth can become an error. Of course. One time it didn't affect us here particularly, but... There was some people interstate who got a bit carried away about righteousness. And there's some wonderful scriptures that tell us that we um, are made righteous because we were all sinners. 
but Jesus Christ is the only righteous one. And we come to him and we're born again of water and of the spirit. And we're made to be righteous in the sight of God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have us. Mm. He doesn't want us messing up the kingdom of God like mm. we messed up the earth. Yeah. But then some people have said, well, I'm righteous now. I can do no wrong. And so the way they go and do wrong yeah. and claim that they're still righteous, which is ridiculous. Um, and we've known people to influence others again, become fanatical about this sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's lots of scriptures. I love the story in Acts chapter 17 where Paul came to Athens and he went to Mars Hill and he found there that they had uh, two basic groups of philosophers. There was the Stoics, extreme disciplinarians, and the Epicureans, who were the other extreme, where, where we've got lots of them around these days, well, if it feels good, do it. Yeah. But neither of those have got the answers mm. because if you just go what you want to do, well, you, you've got a slippery ride downhill very fast. And the Stoics, of course, they can't live up to their own standards that they make and they make life very difficult for everyone else. But Paul came along and he heard all of this and he preached unto them Jesus, who has got the right balance. Yeah. And he will come into our lives and he will change us and he will give us the victory over all of our problems. And as we walk with him, we're guaranteed eternity. We can do nothing better than to preach Jesus. That's right, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Thank you both for spending several hours uh, with us uh, talking about your wonderful testimonies and the wonderful things that have happened to you over the years. Um, it's been fantastic. Pleasure. So, thank you very much. Good. Well, there you have it. What a wonderful selection of stories. That's the end of our four-part series with Pastor John and Janet. Don't forget to rate us on your favourite podcast app and subscribe. It's free so that you get notified of any upcoming episodes so you don't miss any of the wonderful stories about what God is doing in people's lives today. Until next time, God bless.